Our scripture today, as was mentioned in our wonderful children's moment, comes from uh, the... Whoopsie daisy. After that auspicious start, comes to us from the shortest of Paul's letters, the letter to Philemon, uh, the first verse, and reading through the entirety of this wonderful, wonderful letter. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. And for this reason, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty Yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him that is my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. On March 4, 1861, the 16th President of the United States, facing a nation 
on the verge of tearing apart and succumbing to the temptations of war, and having just recited the oath of office that to the best of his ability, he would preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, Abraham Lincoln mounted the podium and spoke to the crisis of the country and to his dream of a preserved union. After stating his case and articulating his vision and his hope, he ended his plea to the country with these words, we are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. Five weeks later, cannonballs fell upon Fort Sumter and the worst war of American history commenced. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. It is one of the predicaments of the human soul, the dance between head and heart that elicits the great passion for positions and for persons passion that emanates from both head and heart, passion for what, what thought we favor, what op opinion we hold, and at the same time, what great feeling we have for those to whom we have been bound. Supreme Court Associate Justice David Souter, 13 years ago, retired from the bench. On his last day, he read into the record his farewell to his colleagues and the farewell ended by saying, I will not sit with you at our bench after the court rises for the summer this time, but neither will I retire from our friendship, which has held us together despite the pull of most passionate dissent. The human predicament, friendship despite the pull of most passionate dissent. Perhaps one of the most overlooked letters of the Apostle Paul is this short one chapter letter written to a friend, a brother in Christ, Philemon, to whom Paul expresses his great love and affection and thanksgiving for their friendship in the gospel. These two were very good friends, but something had come between them and that something was slavery. The first century world lived in the clutches of slavery. It was woven into society. It was assumed, taken for granted. Some were owners and some were slaves, and that's just the way it was. Followers of Jesus owned slaves, and no one thought a thing about it. 
It took a long time. It took centuries and centuries for the gospel to hammer at this awful institution before finally the chains gave way. And one of the first to hammer was the apostle Paul. In Christ, Paul writes, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. It is hard for us to comprehend how radical that statement was in the first century. Paul was hammering, seeking to hammer through the impenetrable walls of society, cutting through the chains that still in some degree remain today. So Philemon is the owner of a runaway slave, and that slave, Onesimus, Onesimus was a common slave name. It means to be useful. Onesimus has run away to Paul, possibly even stealing Philemon's money. He has run away to Paul, and Paul has held on to him. Paul has, in a sense, harbored him. He has taken him in, not as a slave, though, but as a brother in Christ. He has, he has claimed this other man's property, and for his defense, he has appealed to their shared faith in the gospel. And now, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, a runaway slave, back to his owner, and it is with this letter that he sends him. And in it, he appeals to Philemon to take back his slave, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Certainly, culturally, he is asking Philemon to jump over at least two Grand Canyons. First, to leap over the fracture in their friendship. And second, to bound over the yawning gap between the gospel and what was the cultural norm. And then on top of that, Paul tells him, oh, and get a room ready for my visit. A visit that likely never occurred because of Paul's execution. The strained bonds of affection. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The human predicament the Bible seems to be filled with it. Brothers Cain and Abel, one jealous of the other, and as a result, the first biblical murder. David and Jonathan, best friends, sharing a love that sticketh closest, closer than a brother with a raging king right in between them. Euodia and Syntyche, two prominent members of the Philippian church, at war with each other, and Paul must write and beg them to come together. Paul and Barnabas, ministry partners, fall out over a fellow traveler, and as far as we know, they never saw each other again. Esau and Jacob, sibling rivalry grown toxic, and it takes all the grace Esau can muster to bury the hatchet and to say that there is nothing that eclipses brotherhood. Which I suppose is what Paul is saying to Philemon, that there is nothing, Philemon, that eclipses brotherhood, brotherhood in Christ. That there is something more here, Philemon, than what meets the eye and what stings the heart. Which makes me think of the falling out I had with a pastor friend of mine. Yes, pastors have fallings out. 
It was a misunderstanding for the most part, but the other part left us both wounded. And of course, each of us thought that the one was more wounded than the other. Yeah, you stabbed me, but yeah, you stabbed me deeper. And so there I sat licking my wounds and getting great satisfaction out of it. But you know, no matter how much you lick your wounds, it never keeps them from getting infected. Hurt becomes grudge, and grudge becomes hate. My head told me that, but my heart said, keep licking, keep licking. The strained bonds of affection. But by God's grace, before the infection could set in, he, not me, picked up the phone and texted and said, hey, uh, can we meet for lunch? I delayed my response just to get one more stab in. Another text from him. You know, he said, we lose too much if we don't do this. I hate when my adversary is right. So we have lunch and we explain and we apologize and we disagree on some fine points and we pray and ask for the host of the lunch, that being Jesus, to give us grace to keep going. Is the friendship back to being the same? Of course not. The wounds are healed, but the scars remain. And mysteriously, though, the love is somewhat more mature, deeper as a result. It's a long way back sometimes. You remember the story of Alvin Strait, the 73-year-old man from Lawrence, Iowa, whose eyesight had gotten so bad that they took his license away? So what was he to do when he got the call from his Wisconsin, that his Wisconsin brother who lived 240 miles away had had a stroke? No money to fly, no Zoom to call, no sight to drive, at least a car. But he did have that 1966 John Deere riding mower in the back shed. No one said he couldn't drive that. So he rigged up a trailer to the tractor that held his suitcase, gasoline, and camping gear. And off he went to be with his brother. At a top speed of five miles an hour, the trip took six weeks. But he got there. Oh, he got there because it's the getting there that matters. And it is, right? The getting there that matters for us, brothers and sisters, for this is who we are, right? Brothers and sisters, our bond is in Christ and Christ eclipses all, eclipses all. And there is a lot to eclipse these days, much passionate dissent, dissent that turns into stabs and wounds and infection, politics and culture wars and talking heads and fake news and some of it, some of it is really important stuff that Jesus has something to say about. But the problem is we don't always agree on what Jesus has to say. Except that we would all likely agree that Jesus is the host of today's meal. 
Jesus is the host of this meal, and all are invited, all are invited, especially the one you don't want to be here, especially the one you don't think deserves to be here. And Jesus says, don't you start talking about deserving because this is the meal for the undeserving. So why don't you, Jesus says, before you come to the table, go back as far as you need to, 240 miles on a John Deere tractor if you have to, and bring your sister with you, bring your brother with you, Roy Blount, in his compact biography of Robert E. Lee, relays the story of the Confederate general some weeks after surrendering to the Union armies to end the Civil War. He was in Richmond on a Sunday, and as was his habit, he attended worship at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. When it came time for communion, the rector invited the congregation forward to the rail to receive the sacrament. The first to stand was an African-American man, nicely dressed, who proceeded to the rail for communion. Remarkable that he had even been let in the door, even more remarkable that he had approached the table. The congregation sat in stunned silence. No one in the pews budged. No one would dare kneel with the man. Until Robert E. Lee, the humble general, stood and walked up the aisle, approached the rail, and knelt beside the black man. And with that, the rest of the congregation followed, a first step on a long way back. So no one knows what happened with our friends Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, owner, slave, brothers, in Christ and Grand Canyons in between. No one really knows how that story played out. No one knows what happened when Philemon opened the door to see his runaway thieving slave right in front of him. No one knows what happened when he read that letter. No one knows what happened when he heard the appeal of his brother in Christ to stop licking his wounds and to make his way back. We just don't know what happened with those strained bonds of affection. But what we do know is that some decades later in that growing church in Ephesus over there in Western Turkey, the one that Paul started and that others shepherded, they raised up a leader for themselves, a man with a slave's name, one named Onesimus now Bishop of Ephesus. Is it possible that this was the same Onesimus as that runaway thieving slave? Of course it is. Because with God, all things are possible. For so says the host of the table.